This is Archive Atlanta, episode 252, Graffiti. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. February has been the month of interview episodes, but I'm not mad about it because they've all been so great. And this week, I'm sharing my conversation with Antar Fierce, who is a graffiti historian, educator, and archivist, to learn about the history of graffiti, especially writing. Graffiti is loosely defined as words, drawings, or writings in public view, something that humans have created since the dawn of time. But writing developed first in the 1960s in Philadelphia and then New York. So we talk about that early history. We talk about Antar's start as a writer, his move to Atlanta, the early writing community here in Atlanta, the first crew. I also ask him about how crews are structured and kind of the code of ethics in that culture. So without further ado, hope you enjoy. My name is uh, Antar Fierce. And I am a um, graffiti historian, um, a historian period, I guess, but with a, with an emphasis or focus on graffiti, educator and um, archivist. And I always try to tell people the story of like how we met or sort of or connected. So I went to the dungeon. This is all stemming from the dungeon, but I met, you know, <laughs> I met Rachel. She's like, oh, graffiti. His-. She kept saying graffiti historian. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> she's like, oh, yeah, you have to meet him, blah, blah, blah. And then I never was even able to ask her for your information because I think you messaged me or something. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I'm su- I'm actually supposed to meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, I yeah. would like to meet you. <laughs> and then we spent, what, three hours at Krog Market? <laughs> like, just, talking. Just right. Just talking. Being I'm like, history nerds. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I was mm-hmm. like, this is great. I'm like, you're amazing. Um, and I was so fascinated. And that's always my, like... That's always how I know. I'm like, oh, I want to know all this. So I just assume other people do. But I think it's interesting. It's like a world that people don't know the history of. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there was even such a thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a traditional medium in any sense where you have a book, Mm -hmm. right? You're not going to the library. I mean, there is no archives at the Atlanta History Center, so to speak. No, not for this. Yeah. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's it's a fascinating thing just in general that you are this graffiti historian and then the story of it. So, um, the way I like to start it that my brain always works is like starting as far back as possible. Right. And we kind of touched on this or I asked you is like the term graffiti or what we think of graffiti, like how is that defined and what is like the earliest examples we have of it? Okay, sure. Um, so, and in, in I really have to would probably look at a book uh, because I know at some point, um, you know, or I, know, I know somewhere there's an explanation of this, but graffiti is probably um, a, a Latin word or has a Latin root. Um, when and, and what, as far as the term graffiti, I'm not sure. But I, I think um, just by definition, and this is a good place to start because this is where I always like to start, is just clarifying the terms. So graffiti is a a very generic term, and it really just means, I mean, loosely defined, it is just, uh, you know, words or drawings or writings that are written in a place that's in public view. So that that covers a whole lot of things. Um, And and that goes back as far as 30, 40,000 years to the dawn of modern man and cave paintings. So that could, that, that, in, in its purest form is graffiti throughout, you know, civilization and, and development of humanity and, and industrialization and all of those things. Graffiti has always existed. I mean, hieroglyphics uh, from ancient Egypt are a form of graffiti because it's 
it's drawing or, or it's something that's drawn on a wall that's in a public place. There are tons of examples throughout history, Pompeii and, um, and ancient Greece, and there's tons of examples of graffiti. So graffiti is old. Um, graffiti has been with humans since the beginning. And there have been kind of other iterations of graffiti or, or stylistic graffiti that have occurred um, even before Philadelphia, New York City in the 60s. One example is, um, you know, gang graffiti, which dates back to almost the 1930s. Really? And, um, and so that is an example of, you know, stylistic writing in public places. And then there's also railroad, railroad worker graffiti or hobo graffiti which dates back to about the same time, possibly even earlier. And so that's that's kind of along the same lines of what happened in New York City and Philadelphia in the 60s, but not quite the same, because I think throughout history, when you look at graffiti, the, the thing you have to kind of keep in mind is the purpose. Oh. And all of those examples of graffiti that predate, you know, New York City, 50, I'm sorry, New York City 60s and 70s is the purpose and the reason. In the 1960s, in the mid-60s in Philadelphia, a group of kids um, who were, from from what, I, what I've gathered and, and what I've read and, and seen and heard from, from them is that, you know, th- these were kids who were not so much into the gangs, they weren't into the drugs, they weren't into anything, you know, nefarious, they were just kids. And one of the pastimes they got involved in was name writing. And so, you know, this group of kids um, would write their names along the bus route so that people so that it was really for them and for the kids in their high school. And one of the most famous guys from that era is a guy that wrote Cornbread. And when they asked him, you know, well, why did you start writing? Why did you start doing this? And he said it was to get the attention of a girl at his school that he liked. So that was, there's always a girl. There's (laughs) always a girl. (laughs) And so that, that, you know, but he, there was a group of guys that he wrote with, um, but he was the one that stood out because I think he probably wrote the most. So that was his reason. But the other guys, you know, they all kind of agreed that they were really doing it for each other. But the inflection point comes when they realize, hey, well, if we write on the actual bus or on the actual train, then we don't have to walk up and down the bus route. (laughs) We can just write on the vehicle and it will carry our names back and forth. So that was like an aha moment. And that, I think, is when it, it began to change. So that's Philadelphia, which is kind of a separate that kind of happens by itself, independent. Now, a couple of years later, so we're talking about Philadelphia, we're talking about 64, 65, 66. A couple of years later, and what we what what I believe happened independent of Philadelphia because there's really no evidence to say otherwise. Okay. Not that we've discovered. It that that same idea began to happen in New York. Oh. In around 68, 69, kids began to write began writing their names on the subway stations and on the walls in the subway stations. And then they were doing it, you know, more and more often and more and more stations. Because, you know, if you've ever been to Philly, Philadelphia, the transit system compared to New York is is really small. Yeah. And it's not big enough. The Philadelphia system is not really big enough to really realize the full potential of, of what was about to happen. So New York was the perfect place for it to happen. 
so that, you know, so now we're talking about 68, 69 kids in New York are starting to do the same thing. And, you know, this carries on for about maybe, like I said, maybe two years. But in 71, there's a guy named Tacky, Tacky 183, a Greek guy who was writing his name up and down the, you know, up and down the street in Manhattan, all through Manhattan, because he was a messenger. Oh, okay. So everywhere he went, he would he would take a tag. So he would have tags all the way down on Wall Street and as far up as Washington Heights. And so a reporter from the New York Times thought it would be an interesting story. Who so is they, Taki? Who and that was the name of the article. No. <laughs> yes. That, and it's a famous it's a famous New York Times article. And when that article came out in seventy one, that changed everything because the kids saw that. Oh. And it and it from there it snowballed. Oh. Now Taki wasn't the first, and even by his own admission, he says he wasn't the first. There were there were other guys who were before him, but he was the one who made it famous. And he was the one that 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 New York Times article is really what changed everything. And it really made kids who were all over the city like, now I'm into this now. I can get famous. From this, yeah, yeah, and and so, seventy one was kind of an inflection point because it began. That's when a lot more kids began to get involved, not just in the Bronx and Harlem, but also Brooklyn, Queens, further north in the Bronx, Manhattan, and and kids everywhere began to get involved. And and at first, it was really just name writing. It was just very simple, very plain your name and your street number because that's how all the old writers started out. Oh, that's where the numbers That's came the from. number that's what the number is for. As in like your house address? No, no, cuz you know New York is all numbers. The yes. streets are all numbers. So Okay, sorry. So Tacky like, 183 lived on 183rd, 183rd Street. Okay. 183rd that's Street. So funny. I used to live at <laughs> like it was 50th Avenue. Yeah, like that's So hilarious. it so so that was that was a very early practice, but then that got abandoned really quickly. <laughs> okay. Because the police could always Oh, they could find, figure you out. They could figure out where, what street you lived on. <laughs> So Johnny, <laughs> right, right. Um, so you know that lasted for a while, and and that's what I think we consider the first generation of of writing. And 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 back to the terminology, real quick. So a lot of the older writers never really called themselves graffiti. They never called what they did graffiti. Um, they always referred to themselves as writers. So when I say writers, that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and, and that's what and, we're going to mainly talk about, especially yeah. with Atlanta, which I mean, you taught me that term. Yeah, I, I didn't know that that was the term for and, that. And, and that and that's the that's where that comes from. So all of the all of the early writers, it was really just name writing and it was plain print. But what happens is so many kids began to get involved and the walls began to get covered with all these different names. So you had to do something different. So that your name stood out from all the rest. And that's what kind of ushers in the idea of style. Mm. And that's when style becomes just as important as how much you write your name. So it's those two notions that really give birth to this culture. It's it's the idea of writing your name a lot, but also writing it stylistically so that it becomes attractive and it stands out. And then you have a more kind of individual, I guess you're saying. And then you have a, then you have an identity because okay. your 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 style is associated with you. Like okay, like you, you could know, be a John, and there's another John, but you're gonna write it in your special artistic way. And that, but also, if I see your name go by on the train at 50 miles an hour, if your style is unique enough. Uh-huh. I don't even have to be able to read it. I just know the style. Yeah, we. I mean, we're talking about this later. I can't read some of them, but I, I know the style. But but the style is yes. what, and, and so that's how that's really 
once that was figured out, um, it, it really just began to, it really took on a life of its own. Um, and so a lot of the early, and again, this is like first generation, second generation, you know, 71, 72, 73. Okay. I'm like, you know, a year old. Yeah, so. I was going to say, I was like, wait a second, you're, you're in New York, but I think you're a baby. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't, I mean, I only, I, I know this part of it only because of the research that, okay. I, that I've done in, in the years of just loving the history and, and finding it out. Yeah. So, um, you know, and so it goes on and these kids... And you have to you have to understand that these are children. This this culture that is now global, that is now, you know, practiced by kids all over the world, not just kids, adults um, all over the world was started by children, children who were to a large degree from, you know, marginalized communities, kids who were black and brown um, because they didn't have access to the kinds of art programs and and all of those things. I mean, this is a time when New York City is in a budget crisis. Yeah, I mean, the so, 70s in really, New York City. It was bad. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> the really wild re- west. It was really bad, and and you know, gangs are rampant. Gang culture is like a, a real everyday thing. Um, drugs are real, a real thing, and these kids have to contend with that. But even in the midst of all of that, they come up with this thing that, to a large degree, keeps them away from. All of those other things, because a lot of these old writers didn't they they weren't in gangs. Some of them were, but a lot of them weren't. And this was a way for them to this was something else for them to do. This was an alternative. And so, you know, like I said, it goes on, it evolves Um, in in around 70 or still the early 70s. You know, a couple of important things happen. One, because these kids are riding on subway trains while they're inside. Trains are moving. They're riding on the trains. Then they get the bright idea, well, hey, why don't we go to where they park the trains? <laughs> and then, you know, it's open season, right? So they figure that out. Um, so they, and, and, you know, you hear a lot of these old guys talk. They say, yeah, when we used to go to the yards, you know, they didn't even have fences around the yards. You know, we would just walk right in. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. But then there's technology that they figured out. And the technology is, you know, when you have a can of spray paint, and it comes with a, a stock cap that's really skinny, makes a really skinny line. But they figured out with through all their ingenuity and innovation, hey, if I get the cap off of my mom's spray starch that fits on the same can, I can make a much wider stream, then I can paint a much bigger piece. And so that they figured out pretty early, probably 71, 72 it. So then all of these things kind of happen and, and it's really you really have to understand it in the context because one, these are kids. Um, two, it's it's the seventies, you know, and this is something that these kids made up from scratch themselves. I mean, they had no adult yeah. intervention. Nobody said, "Hey, we'll do this or do that." This is all kids come coming up with a way to entertain themselves, for lack of a better word, and and have a community with themselves. And it's it's really I mean it's really fascinating to me. That's why I can sit here and just won't shut up about it. Um, so that is that's kind of the for for writing. And again, there are examples of graffiti that date back. Of course, yeah. But with writing, to, but writing is it's it, an is American an iteration invention. of it. It's an it's a, it's a hundred percent an American culture. It was created in America by kids who are American and and were the result of. America's inability to take care of its children. And this is what, this is one of the things that happened. 
And that's how, you know, later, and this is a maybe a different discussion, but it's a big part of how it becomes aligned with hip hop. Because hip hop is also kind of in that same vein where it, it's created out of a need for arts and, and creativity and expression because the schools, the society, the public wasn't providing any of that for these kids. And so they really came up with this on their own. Philadelphia first, 60s, New York, early 70s. But you appear on the scene in New York in mm-hmm. what year? <laughs> so I, I took an interest in writing in, in 1983. Okay. Um, How old were you? Jesus. 1983, I was born in 71. So 83, I had to be 12. So you were a kid, just like Oh, I was a kid. kid. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. And this was... Because at the time, this was urban youth culture. Okay. okay. This was a pastime for us. So, I mean, when I got interested in it, and I had seen graffiti all over the neighborhood all growing up. And even in 83, when I began to take an interest in it, it wasn't, I didn't jump all the way in. Because I was into breakdancing. I was in the D, I thought I wanted to be a DJ. Um, <laughs> you know, and I said, well, let me try this thing called graffiti. And so for a couple of years, I kind of just fooled around. I doodled in my book and I drew, you know, my notebook and, you know, the little famous S that everybody oh, draws. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I think it was fifth grade. I used to write everyone's name in the bubble letters. That's right. It infiltrated right. to even the white kids in upstate New York. That's so, right. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's almost like if you're a kid in America in the 80s. Yes, you were drawing. It's a rite of passage yes, to yes. be kind of part of that, kind of all, all of those things, right? Um, but... When everything changed for me was in 85 when I went to Midwood. Oh. And I had to start taking the subway to school. Oh. And that was when I began to see graffiti on the trains up close. And then I was like, tunnel vision. Um, I have to figure that out. How is that happening? How are these kids doing these, you know, insane, covering the entire side of a train car? How are they doing that? And that was when I, I, I stopped... I stopped breakdancing. I stopped, um, you know, DJing. I mean, I never really was either one of those things. I was just into them because it was kind of the things we just did around the block, you know, in the neighborhood. But I lost interest in all of those things once I took the subway. And that was the that was when I turned the corner and I became a complete nerd about graffiti. So that was 85, my freshman year. And then, you know, I met some kids who were at, at, in high school who were actually real writers. And, and I didn't get, I didn't jump in and really become active because I, I, I never really had a lot of confidence in myself as an artist back then. Because I would see graffiti on the subway and I would want to kind of copy that. But mm-hmm. the trains never stood still long enough <laughs> for me to copy it. So I couldn't really sit out there with my book and try to, because you can't do that in 1985 in, on the subway. You'd get, you'd get mugged, right? So one day, this guy, a friend of mine from school, who was like a really famous writer, um, he bought a photo album to school. And, aha, oh. why don't I start taking pictures of it? Oh. And then that's how I began taking pictures of graffiti. And, and that really just took on a life of its so own. So you were taking the photos so f- for you to go back and copy that was, it. That was my initial... You were like, I'm going to be I an was archivist. A, I was... Not at all. And that's exactly <laughs> what it was. My initial... Wow. introduction to taking pictures of it was so that I could take it home and copy it. And after a while, I started getting more and more pictures. I said, you know, this is, 
And then it just became like an obsession almost. I was cutting school to go take pictures. I just amassed a, a huge, and even today, I probably have one of the largest collections of subway graffiti that's still one of, because there's still guys who have who have collections, but my collection is intact. It's all 35 millimeter. Um, and I got about, I'd say maybe between 1,000 and 1,200 frames of just subway graffiti, but at the period when it was ending. Oh. So I started taking pictures in 85, actually, actually 86. I photographed subway graffiti from 86 to 89. Which was the last three years. Really? And what happened after 89? Well, they cleaned all the trains. Okay, well, that's what I thought. So just <laughs> yeah. like... The well, they, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't overnight. It, it, took them, it took them about... It's ironic because graffiti began to appear on the subway in the spring of 1969. And the last graffiti-covered train was in service in the spring of 1989. Wow. Exactly 20 years. So it took them about that long to really get rid of it. But in the time that I was shooting, I started in, like I said, about 86, 87, 88, 89. You know, it was weird because you know how sometimes you're you're going through history, but you don't know it. Yes. That yes. was what it was like. It was like, I remember when I first started taking pictures, all of the trains were covered with graffiti. But Oh, you saw it start to lessen. But every day I would go out and I would see more and more clean trains and less and less what we used to call bomb trains or trains that were covered with graffiti. And at some point I said, they're really going to win this thing. And then I just really went off because then I just started really going out there and trying to take as many pictures as I could. I was going in the tunnels taking pictures. I was going into the scrapyards taking pictures of the inside. We were going to the scrapyards where they have retired trains and we would just cut down all of the ads on the lights just to see all the old tags behind it. And we were taking pictures of all of that. Like once we realized that they were really going to win. It was, we started just taking pictures of everything. Wow. And it was so funny because I would see kids, I would see other writers out there, and they'd be like, why are you taking pictures of this stuff? This is going to be here forever. And, and you well, knew. and here you we knew. are. <laughs> so what year do you come to Atlanta to go to college? I, that was 89. The 89. year. And the you year. were like, you were going to hang up your I hat. Was done. Like I you was were done. like, okay, this was, is my, my youth, you know, my, my writing youth is yeah, over. It was, it was, I wanted to stay in New York. I came to visit in 88. I came to visit Clark and I really did like it because I really went to Spelman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, I, we visited Spelman. Yeah, I wasn't so impressed with Clark, but I was impressed with but you're Spelman. Like, hey, but we're, we're right across <laughs> but, the street. But, but I said, okay, you know, because at first I was, you know, the mad kid. I don't want to do this, but then, you know, wait a minute now, this might not wait, be. There's an all-girls college with <laughs> might not very... be. This might not be such a bad idea after all, right? So, but even then, I, I still wanted to stay in New York. So we came to visit in '88. 89 comes. I didn't want to leave New York because I was finished high school um, and I wanted to paint. I wanted to do all the graffiti that I never got to do because my dad was kind of strict. But when I finished those two summer school classes, I come out of the school and my dad is like waiting outside in front of the school like Ferris Bueller. <laughs> and he's just there in his car. Only car parked out there. All my shit's in the I back. Say suitcases. Yeah, everything's in the back of the car. And we get on the road to Atlanta no. 
from there. Because he's like, you're going to school. You're going to go live with your aunt down in Atlanta. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to go. Um, so I get here. Fall of 89, I start Clark Atlanta University. But yes, I give up. You just graffiti. don't think you're coming. Because, I, I mean, I, I feel like I kind of did that. It's like when you leave your home, you're doing a specific thing right. there. You don't think, oh, well, maybe they have that there. It's not Never like even. Yes. that. That's not even That's not even on the radar. Yeah. So, but you come here and is there a thriving writer scene? Well, when I, when I got here, um, you know, when I visited in 1988, the year before I moved here, I remember going all the way down Cascade Road because my uncle lived in Cascade Heights and by the beautiful restaurant. My dad used to love that place. So we used to go there and eat. But there was a Leon 2000 tag all the way down there, which is a weird place. It is a weird place. In this upper middle class African-American neighborhood. There's a Leon 2000 tag right there on Cascade Road. And I remember seeing that in 88 and being like, who the hell is this guy? You know, And but the tag was very stylish. So I knew it was... I knew it was here, but that was not enough. That was just a tag that I just thought it was... It was a one-off. It was just a one-off. Okay. I, so I didn't pay it any attention. So when I did move here, I, I quit graffiti. I, I was like, okay, I'm done. A, a big, I had a couple of crates of spray paint that I threw away. That would have been vintage now. But I threw all of that away. <laughs> and I was going to throw the pictures away. Um, because I was trading pictures also, not just taking my own. But we used to trade pictures we used to go and meet up on uh, in, in a, on Canal Street at a one-hour place. No way. And guys would come from all over, the, well, you know, a, a handful of us. That's amazing. And we would bring our negatives, you know, what you caught this week where you were, what you caught you. And we would bring and make reprints. And so we would trade pictures. So I had all of those pictures. I had all of my I mean, this thing was really organized, you know. That's this, wild. That's more organized than probably I am now, right? Um, but, you know, I was going to throw all the pictures away, but something said... Don't throw the pictures away. <laughs> Something inside said, just, you know, hold on to them. You, you know, my aunt had a big house in East Point. You can stick them in the basement and, and they'll be good there. I mean, it's just a foot locker. So I just stuck that in the basement. And then I just started my life as a college student. Partying, chasing women. <laughs> I, was, I was all of that, right? Um, and so that was for about two years when I was here in Atlanta. So from 90, 89, 90, and then Freaknik. That's when I was really like, oh, shit, I'm not even going home for the summer now. Um, I'm staying. For, for I'm, I'm here. So 89, 90, 91, I met a guy from New York that wrote Hens. And, um, and you know, I had, I had a car, so I was driving around and I had seen graffiti. But it, and so to answer your question, there was definitely a scene here yeah. before I got here. Of course. And there so were, do we know when that started, when Atlanta yeah. scenes Oh, absolutely. Um, I, and, and that's what the, uh, uh, the documentary is about, is, um, you know, the, the first guys in Atlanta were, was a crew called United Kings. Okay. And they started in about 84. And, you know, there were a couple of other guys after them, but they were the first. And what Gavin's article is about them. Okay. Yeah. Um, so is about we'll, the, I was going to, we're going to mention this I'm at sorry. some point. No, no. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put a link for everybody. So no worries. But there is a documentary coming out. Yes. Next, the 22nd and the 29th. Two yes. showings. Yeah. But then, I mean, my, my friend Anne sent me the article. She's like, Gavin wrote about <laughs> the first crew and graffiti. And I was like, yes. perfect timing. Yes. Yes. For this yes. recording. So yeah. The, is it the AJC had it? It's AJC. AJC. It was the February 4th. Sunday paper. This past Sunday. This past um, Sunday, yeah. But yeah, he featured that crew. He and featured so they're still around. They well, it's funny. They 
are around now, but they disappeared for a long time. And when I started writing here in 91, 91, 92, when I really got into it here in Atlanta, when I got back into, I said, okay, let me take the pictures out and let me, you know, (laughs) brush up my Yeah, let me brush up. Yeah, let me, let me get back. You know, I was getting back into it. I remember the United. I mean, there were there were three guys. There was Leon, who the tag that I saw, he was really a popular. Oh, he guy. was one of the United Kings. He's not one of the United. He was he was different. He okay. was separate. He okay. was one of the, but he was a local. But he was an early tag. He was an early early Atlanta writer. So there was Leon. There was a guy named Sparky Z. Um, there was another crew called the Five Kings, and all of these guys predated me getting here. These guys were all doing their thing in the eighties, but United Kings was first. So once I got back into it, I remember learning about the United Kings because they had a piece on the King Memorial Station or, or, or on the railroad tracks that's outside of the King Memorial Station. And I remember seeing that piece because you could see it from the MARTA train, but I never knew who they were. And even when I met, so I went, you know, I got into the scene here in Atlanta. I met Leon. Um, I never met Sparky Z because he had a piece up at Limburg. So I would see these old pieces and I went and took pictures of all of them because that was just my thing to do. I had to document that, you know. <laughs> but you're saying at this point they're eight years old. But by now, yeah, I mean, the stuff is already old by now. And, and and you see some of these pieces in the documentary, some of these photos, that even when I took them, they were already old. But And so, you know, I always wanted to meet these guys, but, I, but nobody ever knew who they were. So Sparky Z, you know, who is that guy? Um, and, and nobody could ever tell us, no, nobody ever knew who they were. And this is something I asked, I asked you, I think when we first met is there was, I guess, initially an air of anonymity, right? If you oh, were absolutely. Writer. And that was for, I'm sure not getting in trouble not getting arrested. That's but, exactly what it was. But and is it, that it? Or was there also a mystique of just like not being known? There definitely was that. And that's a big part of the culture. Um, and, and even in New York, in the early days, and even here in the early days, it's just the idea of being a writer. And that's why I think it appealed to me so much, because it was just the sneakiness of it. A part of the culture is, you know, writers always want to be kind of anonymous. They really don't want to know, they, uh, you know, they don't want to, they don't want everybody to know who they are. Um, and it's only now, yeah. now that I've quit, pretty much, that I'm even comfortable Telling people what my name is, because yeah. for a long time I would be like, I'm, and I wasn't even really like a guy that was doing a lot of work, but it's just the nature of it. You don't, you don't want to, you know, no face, no case. Yeah, but so you don't need to know who I am. Is, is that what happened with the Kings? Is that they just, because they were well, anonymous and then they just... I, I, think, I think what happened with the Kings, not I think, because I know them, and, and, they're, and they're really good guys, and I've really become friendly with them and fond of them and, 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 and admire them, um, because... I think they just, I think life just lifed and they got older yeah, and they just dropped out of the scene because they just had to, life happens, you know? And then so nobody knew who they were for almost 40 years. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So it's like they're doing stuff in 84, 85, whatever. They're already old when you're taking photos, but you're also special because you're coming from it where you're like, must document, take photos. that's right. And so... Anyone who's writing in 95, even 2000, whatever, you're saying they're not like, I mean, that tag might not even be there. That's right. That's oh, right. Oh, okay. I see That's what you're right. saying. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, by the time I got here and started asking about them, everybody was like, who? 
And, you know, also you got to keep in mind there's no social media yet. Yeah. There's no internet yet. And so, you know, we, we could not, my partner at the time, a guy who wrote, who writes DAX, um, we were, we, we were just obsessed almost with trying to find these guys. Oh. And so for years, almost 20, 25 years, we had just been asking everybody we knew to ask about these guys. And then so about maybe three or four years now, somehow somebody said something on Instagram and it was a lead for us. And we just kind of followed it, followed it, kept asking questions. And finally we found them. No. And then that's kind of how they came back out is because we found them. We got in touch with them. And we said, look, you guys are famous. Oh, my you know? God. Um, are they all just living like they were just lives? they were just living they were just, just living like they were just living working. lives just work exactly oh, they were just working doing you know living and, and, and being adults wow and we we got a hold of them and we were like you guys are the guys you know what the hell um, and the same thing with Sparky Z I, same I, I, somebody mentioned him or I saw a hashtag or something and somebody said hey I know that guy. And I said, and, you know, I, I don't look at a lot of DMs, but I looked at that one. I said, you know him? I said, you got to you got to find you got to get me in touch with this guy. So I kept hounding him and he got me in touch with with Sparky Z because Sparky Z was like in his day was amazing. Oh, like, really? He was he was a really good. I mean, he's he's a professional artist now. OK, so back then he was he was but he was amazing stylist. And it was almost to the point when I used to see his work. Back in the nineties, like this guy's got to be from New York. Oh. Like, how's this guy from Atlanta? How's he this good? Well, that was my other question. So, well, my first thought immediately is, do any of their tags still exist? It's crazy you you say that. None of the old tags. However, there was a guy that used to write Sir Smith, okay, um, an, an Atlanta writer, and he used to have a tag on Clark's campus. Um, and I remember when I first moved here, I remember seeing that tag like. There are writers here. Um, this was 89, 90, when okay. I was still at school. I did a, I went and speak in a friend of mine's class yesterday at Clark. I come out of the building and I said, I'm just going to look at this light pole to see if this tag is still here. And it's still no. there. Yeah. They tried to paint over it, but the paint that they tried to paint over it is starting to wear off. And I said, damn, that Sir Smith tag is still there. I took a picture of it, and there's a guy who's kind of hangs out with us who's his son. No. And he saw it. He said, oh, my God, that's my old man. And so he said, so we're trying to get Sir Smith to come. Yeah, it's crazy. So that that is, I think, that's probably the oldest the- graffiti that I've seen. Okay. And it's that's small. Still, and- I mean, it's just a tag. It's, okay. It's, it's really, it's, it's, it's really... Unless you know what it is, okay, okay, it's really nothing. Okay, I mean it just looks like a smudge. Why do some people form like a little gang or a little group, mm-hmm. and then some are on their own, mm-hmm. and then like has that is that historically how it was structured? Because you know you said earlier, which was interesting, right? It's like this was like an alternative to a gang culture or a gang life, but in in a sense you also formed your little groups right it, it, it was and was um, there rivalries and like any kind absolutely of, okay <laughs> absolutely um i think the the crew or the the standard for what became a graffiti crew was started by a bunch of guys from new york called the x vandals and they were actually from flatbush but they were the first really that was when the gang and the graffiti crew began kind of split 
So the ex-Vandals kind of really became the first crew in so far as they would go out and instead of like a gang, go out fighting and causing trouble, they would go out and write. They would go out and write ex-Vandals everywhere they could from Coney Island to... And that was like marking territory. And that was, and it was, it was in that respect. It was kind of like, how far can I get? How How much can I? But it was different in the in the in the idea that they were getting the crew up. So you know, you would have a bunch. You know, let's say there were ten guys in the crew, and there were girls in the crew, which is another thing that's really that really changed very early. There were a lot more girl writers, a lot more female writers in the early and first generations than were in later generations. Interesting. So there were a lot of girls in ex-Vandals also. Um, but they would go out, and I've interviewed a couple of them, and that's how I know this, but they would go out writing, and they would put ex-Vandals. They would write ex-Vandals everywhere. So they weren't really writing their names. They oh. would. They were more writing the name of the crew. I see what you're saying. Yep. Okay. And, and that got lost pretty quickly because kind of shortly after that, the idea of the crew stuck. But it still became more about the individual. Okay. And so when you see a piece and it has those little words inside the letters, that those are crews. So a writer can belong to multiple crews, oh. several different crews. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not like a gang. Okay. Where it's like, <laughs> you know, once, once you're in strange. one gang, it's like you're, you're stuck with them yeah, for life. So you no, can... writers are different. And so writer can belong to a bunch of different crews. Crews are really loosely organized groups of, of writers. And now with freight trains, it's really all over the country, all over the world almost. Um, but crews are usually, you know, just a group of writers, but not so much, hey, we all have to be from the same neighborhood or the same town. We just represent this crew because we like the people that are in it. We're all friends and it's a crew. So that's kind of how... If that makes sense, that's kind of how crews are organized in in the graffiti or in the writing culture. So what is the benefit of belonging to a crew? Um, I I think the recognition, the legacy. Some crews are really old. Mm -hmm. Um, And and writing is something that is really, it's really important to writers. History is very important to writers. Writers are, are always, you know, by and large from what I've experienced, even younger writers coming into the culture now. Um, they always want to know about the history. They always want to understand what happened before them. So when you have crews that are 40, 50 years old, that's, that's a legacy that a lot of younger writers would admire. And they would want to be down with a crew that has that legacy. God, and being able to say, this guy from, exactly. from the 82 hey, or whatever was in I'm my I'm down crew. with you know, UCA crew, which is an old Atlanta crew. Uh, which is an old LA crew that came to Atlanta in the '80s, but UCA is a is a famous is a famous Atlanta crew, and so you know it would be for Atlanta writers being down with UCA would be a thing yeah. because it's an old crew. It's one of the earliest crews in 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 the city. But this actually segues into something else that I was curious about, which is like, is there a code of ethics of some kind? Like, like what are the unspoken rules of writers i mean i i think over the years that's probably changed i know when i was coming up you know there was definitely a code of ethics you don't write on churches you don't write on people's houses you don't write on people's cars um you know 
if you write over somebody's graffiti, it's because either they wrote over you or you are challenging that person. Because if you write over somebody, that's going to be a beef situation. So, you know, if you do paint over somebody's piece, you at least cover it all the way up. You don't paint over somebody's piece and leave their piece hanging out on the back. Those are some of the unwritten mm. kind of rules around it. Um, a lot of that has gotten lost, I think, over the years. Or I think people, a lot of younger guys, because of the internet, a lot of people get into graffiti, but they don't have that. They don't know the rules. They don't know the rules. <laughs> and but, but more importantly, they don't have that guidance. Uh, See, when I came into it, I had to... I learned the things that I learned from an actual person. People see it now. You had a mentor. I had, I had, I mean, I had a couple of mentors. I had a couple of people who were kind of like, okay, so don't do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Here's how you do this. Here's how you, you know, don't do that. You know, so I did have that. And and I think that's to a, 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 a large degree. I think that's missing today. I do know a lot of younger writers um, who come to the bench and hang out and just guys that I know. And so they, they understand that. And so they're always trying to, you know, understand from us, hey, how does this work? And that's the difference about writing and a lot of other things. Like a lot of younger writers are really going to seek out older writers to try to learn versus I just see this on the Internet. Yeah, let me, I'm going to try get this. A spray can and go. And that's how you get punched in the face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's and, and and kids who are really serious about it are going to try to find older writers. I see what you're saying, and to, I'm sure that now with the internet, there is probably a whole little sect. There of, is of the of people who are just like wild west. Who are like just know, exactly, not, exactly, oh, but, absolutely. But you're saying the the true community really weeds them out quick. Yes, because because kids who are really serious about it are going to try to are going to try to reach out to older writers. And kind of figure it out. Well, I mean, we've covered all the things I had to ask you. So if there's, some, I mean, if there's something you think is missing, we can add it, or we can just go straight to talking about the documentary and when it. Yeah, airs. we can. I mean, we can do that. Um, you know, you ask some really good questions, and and you know, sometimes you know. No, I mean, I mean, I, I could go on forever, but I, 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 but I also am like, well, let me, like, I mean, I think the basics is, is no, what yeah, I, that's fine, that's fine, because you know, I'll, I get diarrhea in the mouth no, about no, graffiti, I, so forget um, about it. I'm fascinated by it, but um, tell us about the name, the documentary, the name of it, and then generally what it's about. Because I mean, I've been following it, but I don't even know if I know. And then, because you're acting as a kind of a narrator, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's City of Kings. So um, about a year ago, I got in touch with an organization in the city of South Fulton called Filmer. And what they do is they pair an artist with a filmmaker to make a documentary about the artist. Um, when I heard about that, I said, well, I'd really like to take advantage of that, but I'm not really an artist in the traditional sense. I said, but I, I know this thing, um, you know, would you be interested? So I, I said, listen, I, I'll act as a interviewer or, or, you know, an archivist, historian, whatever. And I'll bring in a couple of artists to talk about the history of Atlanta graffiti. They loved it. I pitched it. I got connected with a guy named Will Fagans Jr., who's a phenomenal filmmaker. And we set out to do this documentary. So we, we picked... Four writers, 
And I was intentional to pick writers that were born and raised in Atlanta. Oh, okay. And so that's why you see the four writers that are interviewed in the documentary are all from Atlanta. Okay. They're all born and raised in Atlanta, and they span four generations. It's uh, the 80s, the 90s, early thousands, and present. That's awesome. So there's four four writers, but they span those generations, which is kind of like the extent of... The Atlanta graffiti scene. Yeah. One um, from each decade. One from each decade. And so it's it's really just them telling their story, but also talking about how public art in Atlanta, which is now such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, now Everybody we, loves yes. it. Everybody loves the murals. Everybody loves everything about public art. But the the, the point of the documentary for me really is to just remind people this is how it started. The, uh, it's a public art origin story. And this was public art in Atlanta before public art became embraced. It and was not. As, as evidenced by the letter that Gavin got, it, it's still not an embraced <laughs> it's, it's, art form. It, it's, and everybody, like you're saying, everyone loves the pretty mural on the side of buildings. Mm-hmm. But if somebody were to write on the side of a building, I'm sure we'd have a lot of different opinions about it. And. And 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 that and, and a lot of the writers, and I think one of the things that is discussed in the documentary is that a lot of the writers didn't get those opportunities, and I think that's changing. I think the writers are starting to get more opportunities than they had previously. But what what it boils down to is that if you're looking at this in its most naked form, which is art in public places, there were kids who were doing that in the '80s. And when they were doing it, nobody liked it. Everybody said it's, you know, all the negative things that come along with graffiti. But if you look at some of the work that United Kings did, what Sparky Z did, that Leon and Five Kings did, I mean, it really had artistic value. But it's just the stigma of graffiti of at the time. Of course. The people who so are bad. doing it. The people who were doing it were young black kids. Yeah. So this has got to be, this is, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is trash. Like this is garbage. Like you said, then we have Keith Haring, and that's somehow that's okay art. because because you know Keith Haring is a is a is a white guy, and I remember Keith Haring. Same, so I mean, it's, it's the same not, era, yeah. yeah I mean, it, I mean and, and and I always liked and respected his work, but when I look at now thirty years later, how he is praised when he really wasn't even a writer. He did he did his artwork, and he got famous for it. And I, I would never take that away from him. And this is not to pick on Keith Haring. No, no, no. I obviously. know we're not. But it, it's the same story repeated. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I joke for, again, me as a white kid in upstate New York, but like I loved Sublime. And yeah. I remember the day I realized that they were just redoing ska songs from the <laughs> 50s. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, I actually really like Toots and the Maytals like a lot better. Yeah. You know, but like you just don't Think of that deep level. I think yeah. sometimes until you're older, some people never get to that point. You know, and some people never get to that. And point. that's the sad part. It's it's really investigating. Like, where did they get this idea? Mm-hmm. Who did this first? Because like, shocker, probably a black person. You know, <laughs> and, and and it's like, what are we really exalting? And like, who are we actually paying for this? Mm-hmm. And like, this is right. such a it's it's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, and um, so that, I mean that's that that's what the documentary is about. It's it's really just I, I wanted to make sure that. As Atlanta has this kind of renaissance of public art, 
that we just never forget that this was really a bunch of this really started with uh, not started with, but it was a bunch of kids from the West Side and from Decatur who were doing giant murals and masterpieces in public places long before you guys were. And they were doing it against all odds. They were doing it. At risk of getting arrested. At risk, risk of getting arrested. Yeah. You risk of getting hurt. And, with, and they were doing it for the love. They weren't getting paid. They were doing it for the love of doing it. And I just felt like that's an important story to tell. Yes. So oh, that's so what documentaries is about. It's called City of Kings. It premieres February 22nd, February 22nd at the Plaza Theater. Um, and February 29th at the Academy Theater in Hapeville. And if you go to City of Kings on Instagram, City of Kings ATL or at City of Kings ATL on Instagram, there's a link in the bio where you can yeah. get tickets. No, this is great. I'm I'm very excited about it, but I'm also excited to have met you. And yes, and absolutely. All of this, like I can't wait to see the more things. Well, I mean, do. you know, we talked, and you know, we're both history nerds. Yeah. So well, I know. said I say this often. <laughs> I say this all the time. Is the nerdness transcends whatever the topic is, yes. you know? So, I mean, like, you could sit here and be like, I'm a watch collector. <laughs> and I could probably talk to you for three hours about it. You know, because it... And, I mean, I'm interested, actually, in what, what you're interested yeah. in. You know, but there, it transcends. It's just somebody who is just so into the yes. thing. It's oh, I so know. I get infectious. It. I, I, absolutely. And it's interesting. Thank you so much. And um, I'm going to put your I'm gonna put your email on the show notes because I feel like, you know, you just never know. Somebody wants to contact you because mm-hmm. you do a ton of stuff. You do classes. Mm-hmm. You speak to people. And you do a lot of other things. So, so um, Yeah. Can... No, but I, I, absolutely. You can put my email in. It's antar.fierce at gmail.com. Um, or you can put it in yeah, the no, notes. I'll put it or in you can so follow can... me on Instagram at antar underscore one. That's A-N-T-A-R underscore O-N-E. So there you have it, the story of graffiti. Um, If you did not catch it, February 29th is the next showing of the documentary at the Academy Theater in Hapeville, and I have links in the show notes to all the stuff we talked about. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review or listen to the podcast. Um, There's also a Patreon link in the show notes if you want to support the work. Hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.